On this week in sales, we're going to be taking a look at Zoom Info buying Chorister AI, faceless avatars being set to take over the sales profession, how much you should spend on sales enablement, if a college degree is worth the investment, and much, much more. My name is Will Barron. I'm the founder over at Salesman.org. And joining me, co-host of this show via the power of Skype, Victor freaking Antonio. Victor, how's it going, sir? Dude, I'm doing really good. How are you doing, Will? I'm doing good. Is it hot over there? Because I just saw you wipe a big load of sweat off your like, forehead. Yeah, I was like, it's, I got the air conditioning. Bla I'm in Georgia. We're obviously in Atlanta, Georgia, and we are now in the steamy season. It's only 11 o'clock in the morning, and you can't go outside. Wow. So it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Yeah, it's pretty warm here, but it's only like... 22 degrees, 21 degrees, which is nothing to elsewhere in the world. It's just we're, we don't, we're not used to it in the UK. There's no air conditioning. There's no nothing. You might have a fan just recirculating warm air in your face, but that's about as far as we get in the UK. Love it. Love it. Well, I'm excited about this week's topics. I'm excited. Dude, I, I'm, I'm slightly annoyed just for the audience because we're going to have to whiz through some of these. There's tons of topics. I've got a hard stop coming up in about an hour's time. So let's jump right into it. Let's jump into some sales news. Zoom Info drops 575 million on Chorus.ai as AI shakes up the sales marketplace. And this is from techcrunch.com. So this isn't some, some BS blog that we usually quote stuff from and, and um, press releases and that side of thing. This is on TechCrunch, uh, you know, a well-regarded, prestigious blog for tech startup organizations. I'll read a little bit from the blog post and we can dissect it perhaps. Zoom Info announced this morning it intends to acquire conversational sales analysis tool Chorus for 575 million. Sales intelligence, Chorus's market, is a hot space that we talk about on this week in sales all the time that uses AI to, quote, listen to sales conversations to help improve interactions between salespeople and customers. Zoom Info is mostly known for providing information about customers, so the acquisition expands the acquiring company's platform in a significant way. There's more we can go into from the article here, but Victor, is this a surprise for you? No. And, but I'm super excited for Zoom Info. Zoom Info, you guys are awesome. You, you're, they're reading the terrain correctly. We said that this would happen, right? Mm -hmm. The the absorption of some of these companies. I think, look, Zoom Info is brilliant in this case. They saw what Gong.ai forgot for valuation. I think it was $7.4 or $5 billion. They're picking up this for $750 million. This is a bargain. They're not going to try to build it themselves. So I think it's a fantastic move. Kudos to Zoom Info people. What do you think about the fact that Zoom Info is now, it was already a data powerhouse. It's one of the, the highest regarded uh, kind of data sources for uh, lead information, contact information, uh, market information within the, the P2P marketplace. How do you think the data that they can get now from active conversations with people in their database, how do you think, are we in a situation where one plus one can equal more than two here? Yes, I think it's one plus one is going to equal like five in this case. What I think is going to happen is that, think of all, first of all, you got the information on the database of all the clients, so you've gone through all that. But once you have the conversations that they're having, I think that's a big one. Also notice that there's a lot of turnover in a lot of these companies. So now you're able to track all these different people moving around, but you're also able to track those conversations. And I, and I think, again, people don't realize that these conversations are becoming assets of a company. And I think it's very valuable. So I think not only are they going to be successful selling the software, but what are they going to do with that data in terms of selling it to third parties? Ooh. So, I, so Ooh. I don't think they'll sell it to third parties. I think they'll use the conversational data to reinforce the main product, they're going to keep the main thing, the main thing of the uh, the 
contact data because hopefully, maybe not right now, but maybe two, three, five years from now, they'll be able to know from the conversational data who is the decision maker. So they then import it on the front end and say, hey, if you want a list of decision makers in this space, confirmed by actual conversations, not uh, predicted upon AI of this person's in this job and they've been in the role for so many years. Um, we know for a fact that deals are done through this individual. Clearly, you can charge 100, maybe not 100, but you can charge 10 times more for that contact information when you've got that kind of data point confirmed versus just a list of email addresses where you're going to perhaps spam an account. Rarely does Will Barron stun me with a piece of insight. There it is. Kudos. Because you're right. Because based on the conversations, we can find out two things. You mentioned one, who the decision maker is, but more importantly, maybe who the influencers are based on the conversations that they're actually having. So I think that's an excellent point, man. I didn't think about that. That is an excellent point. And, and there'll be more layers than what I can do this in real time uh, to kind of dig up here, but it'd be, you could even have this person is contactable. This person is not contactable. If you say that they bought, this isn't the case, but say they bought Outreach to AI or one of those uh, organizations that do sales cadences. So if you add the conversations, the cadence that got the conversation, and you relay that back into the top end of your data that you're selling um, as, as, a, as a prospecting list, as, a, as access to these individuals, you could then say, well, this person wants to be phone called. This person responds to emails alone, will not pick up a phone call. This person wants in-person meetings, whatever it is. At that point, that list then is just, you can't compete with that list. No one will be able to ever yeah. catch up. And yeah. it's all live, yeah. it's all in real time. Because this is the problem with these lists, right? And you'll have experienced this before in, in management. I don't know if you ever like, bought lists, which I think was like happened 10 years ago as opposed to today where you have a real-time list that you'd be accessing. Um, Obviously, people are moving around all the time. People are changing jobs. People are on holiday. Well, if you know that five of your different customers, and it's all anonymous, all trying to email this organization, and this one person keeps emailing back, if you feed that in at the top end of, hey, stop emailing all these other people. You're looking stupid. You're spamming the, the account. You're making the, your organization look bad. Just go for this one person specifically and call them Tuesday at 3 o'clock because they're the receptionist is out of the office going grabbing some sandwiches at that point. How, how valuable is that for a sales organization? Yeah, I love that. I love that. See, even though you don't believe in AI a lot, you believe in predictive analytics, which I, I respect that. So I know you haven't gone fully machine learning AI, but that those are great points you bring up. What if, can I dream, can I help Zoom Info dream a little bit? Hey, Zoom Info, pay attention. There's a couple, I, I love this company called Crystal Nose. We've talked about this in the past where they actually look at personalities. What if I can have an application like Crystal Nose Give me a personality profile, like a disk assessment, but actually reinforce that disk assessment with what you're saying. Well, through the actual conversations, like this person's a direct person. It's more of a social person. This is a dominating person. If we can have all that from the conversations as well, woo, oh, Crystal knows. Come on, sell yourself better. Yep, insane. And you could even go full corporate overlord and you could have perhaps you've got multiple of your customers a prospect into, into the same account. You can never ethically do this, right? But it'd be amazing if you could get one customer to take one approach and advise another customer to take another approach, A, B, test the two, and then whichever one was most effective, use that moving forward. Of course, you couldn't do that. Uh, but if there was, you know, if you're like the Amazons of the world, then you've got enough power, uh, reach, and, and dominance to probably do things like that. You know, skip over some of the ethical uh, issues of leading customers down one path and leading other customers down another. And, 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 just, and, then, and then you'd use that data yourself to sell to the customer longer term regardless. 
Yeah. I'm going to make a prediction. Well, as you're talking, I'm thinking, I got a prediction. Victor's making a prediction. We should have like a banner coming up when we make a <laughs> prediction. Salesforce will buy Zoom Info. I don't think they need to. Has- Salesforce bought data.com, which is a similar, similar product without the chorus element. And Salesforce are building okay. their own chorus competitor. Okay. All right. All right. All right. We'll see. But you want to read the rest of it? Uh, no, because we're going to run out of time. There's like a million topics okay. this week. Here's, here's a side note, Victor. Hmm. Is it us? Because we, for the audience, we go back and forth. We create, we collect, uh, collate this data, this, these posts, and we put them in the doc and we talk about them each week. Is it that maybe every two, three weeks, every four weeks, we're both just feeling lazy and there's zero topics like last week? Or do you think that for some reason, maybe it's the last Friday of the month or the second Wednesday of the month, PR firms start to pump out this kind of thing, these the materials that we talk about? Because last week, the content was great. Our show was humbly, I think, was quite good. But the, the what we were talking about was just nonsense. We were scraping the bottom of the barrel. But this week, we've got unlimited things to talk about. I think it's like news cycles, right? Sure. You got a lot of things going on. Some things are not going on. I don't think there's a master plan. It's just movements in the market. Okay. Well, talking about movement in the market, Victor, this is a article from the Wall Street Journal, WSJ.com. And it's entitled, The Pay is High and the Jobs are Plentiful, but Few Want to Go Into Sales. So quoting from the article here, demand for sales roles has shot up as companies emerging from the pandemic switch to growth mode. But recruiters say that they're struggling to convince people to take a sales career. Zip Recruiter, uh, again, full exposure, uh, exposure, full <laughs> Disclosure. Disclosure. Don't be don't be exposing yourself on yeah. the show. Okay? Um, Zip Recruiter have sponsored loads of our content in the past. Uh, I, I always try to mention it when when they have. Uh, they probably don't want me to do some exposure on uh, on on this episode. I'm sure you don't want to see my nipples either, Victor. So I'll carry on. Zip Recruiter, an online an online job platform, shows the number of sales roles advertised has risen steadily in the past year. 65% up to more than 700,000 open positions around the US after big layoffs decimated the field and the outside of the pandemic a year ago. Now, I couldn't find data on, is that 700,000 roles that were people made redundant 12 months ago and it's just the same roles opening up again? Or is there more roles open now than what there was prior? I don't know, could not find that data. But Victor, what do you think about this? I was surprised by this, Will. Sure. I was surprised. You were going to ask me something, but I interrupted you. But I was surprised. Sure. It, 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 I, I was. I was struggling to find a question to ask, ask you. That's why there was the hesitation. On the on the back of this, then, why? So I guess there's two ways to look at it. I've got relatively strong opinions that a lot of people my age and the generation below don't want to go into a sales role because the media hypes it up as this spammy, um, high pressure role, and you know that's true in some places. It's not true in a lot of the marketplace right now. And it's hard work. It's perhaps uncertain. Hey, you could make a load of money, but sure. we're not just going to give it you for free. So I feel like there's a whole bunch of, is it Zoomers? Are they the generation below millennials? I have no idea. So whatever. whatever the next generation yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I feel like we've got a whole generation, millennials included, who are just big soft asses who don't want to go into sales. Is there anything more to it than that, Victor? Or am <laughs> I, I'm, I'm painting a broad brush here. The, well, first of all, I think these positions depend on the verticals or segments of the market, different vertical markets, right? So, but but it, it's funny because you know you you found this article and I, I this morning when I was having coffee with my wife, I mentioned this to her, and she mentioned something interesting I never thought of. She said, "Well, you know, I've been asked by at least one or two companies to see if I'm interested in selling their products because she's like, you know, she's she loves a certain product." She's, she buys it often, and it's interesting how they've turned around and says, hey, would you be interested in a 
selling from home position, which I thought was really interesting, but kind of an interesting strategy in a good way, because if somebody's buying the products repeatedly, that means they're in, they're a product of the product. So I just think it's interesting how I think we're searching for people to go into sales, which is, again, this shocks me, Will. I thought this would be a no-brainer, right? Go into sales, make more money. What's the problem? So I don't know if this is an aberration. And, you know, a year from now, these jobs will be gone. I don't know. I guess that's the interesting bit to look forward to, right? Will mm-hmm. those so- so. sales roles be filled or will we be me and you and, and uh, Gartner had a big uh, hoo-ha about this a couple of years ago that by 2025, it's like 20% of sales jobs won't exist anymore. Well, maybe a pandemic has come in and shook that up. And maybe even though those jobs maybe don't exist, or maybe there's 50% less people who want to go into sales. So we're still uh, uh, scurrying around and, and scrapping to get the best sales talent in our organizations. And you made a, a note at the end of this here, Victor, what is the impact of salary and compensation plans on this? Could you take someone who who says, I, I don't want to go into sales and offer them a quarter of a million dollars and would that change their mind? I'm, I'm interested to know if, if there's data on that as well. Yeah, because I, I think compens- well salaries plus compensation plans are always important. I think we overlook those. Uh, but I've seen companies throw money at people just to get them on board today. Mm-hmm. But again, uh, you know, we've talked about onboarding in the past, uh, retention rates, you know, what millennials want in today's market. Would you call them soft asses? Soft asses. Uh, and myself included. I'm included in this. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? What do you think companies can do to attract more talent? The problem is, and we're going to touch about this with universities towards the end of the show, right? It depends how you define talent. Are you looking for hungry graduates who want to just get a job and then you get them hooked on this uh, commission every quarter, every month, and then they end up in sales for 25 years, which is probably like 90% of salespeople end up in sales uh, for that re- in that way? Or are you talking about talent as in they've gone to university for sales, they've taken professional development courses on sales, they are wanting to get into um, a medical device sales, for example, is humbly somewhat of a prestigious sales role to be in. Um are they trying to get into those higher end levels of sales? The answer to the question, I guess, varies on all of this, but maybe the underlying factor is if you've got enough cash to throw at a salesperson, you could probably get talent no matter what you're doing and no matter who you're after. Yeah, I think, I think uh, what do you think of this thought? I think retention is going to be big in the future. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. We're going to move from uh, like, you know, training a lot of salespeople to, you know, teaching companies how to retain existing salespeople. Interesting. For sure, for sure. The 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 cost of as the as the crappy sales roles disappear, right? Where you don't need a salesperson buying a car, you you may not need a salesperson eventually because all modern cars are pretty reliable. They've got relatively the same features. You perhaps need almost like a customer service person to show you around the car, answer your questions, and you know the price before you go in. You've already made a decision. You just want to touch it. You want to kick the tires. You want to go for a test drive. And maybe there's finances involved and you're doing some kind of finance deal. Maybe you have a salesperson who can uh, nudge you along the the sales process and the sales pathway there. But as all those kind of roles disappear, then maybe what's left is highly technical, highly sophisticated, complex sales, B2B sales, in which case the ramp up time is going to be not month, it's going to be years for you to be successful in that role. It's a two or three year job. So you're right. The retention side of things is going to be crazy important because if you hire, train, and then they go to your competitor. You could literally, just as a competitor, you could just pluck talent out of all your competitor organizations, off everyone another 50 grand a year, and you probably saved half a million quid's worth of onboarding fees, like that two or three year ramp up period, and your team might be better off for it. 
Yeah, I want to remind people of a study. I think I mentioned it on this show, but I did it for one of my sales after dark episodes where <clears throat> they did a study that if you pluck somebody out of the financial industry, a superstar, that it takes on average two to three years just for them to get back to where they were at. Sure. Because 70% of their success was on the systems, processes, and the support that they actually had within a company. And this goes to retention. So you need to make sure you have a, a solid system. But yeah, I, I like the whole retention angle. I think that's good. Cool. Well, let's flip that on its head and go the other way around. Because maybe, Victor, we can use avatars to eliminate all salespeople and save everyone some headaches and knacker. Let's get rid of all these knacker the job market. Uh, this is from sciencedaily.com, and the original study here is from the Journal of Marketing. Uh, let's get into it. The post is called The Business Use of Avatars. Avatars save costs and boost sales. So this is coming from, quote, an associate professor of marketing at the University of Texas says digital avatars can replace a sales force, not just individual salespeople, Victor, a sales force and customer service employees at a fraction of the costs. In this context, avatars are typically computer-generated representations of people. Uh, the professor said they can fill in the void with interactive assistance that a majority of shoppers say that they want. Anything to add before I get into this quote from uh, Accenture? Two things. One is, this guy's an associate professor of marketing. First of all, credibility is a little weak here already. So I just... <laughs> so just, I'll just say. And then second, I, uh, this really does... I do agree with him. In terms of this, isn't this what Gartner said in our, I think our previous, uh, this we got in sales where we talked about how they're more likely to want just to buy from a robot online, you know, uh, you know, what do you call it? conversation bots. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think he's right. He's still an associate though, but he's <laughs> kind of right. Is this like in the office where Dwight is like assistant to the manager as opposed to the assistant manager? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so this again, quote from the article, an Accenture, is that my saying that correct, video? Accenture. I think it's Accenture. Accenture. Accent. Yeah. We, again, we speak real English over here. Accenture. <laughs> That's stupid words. It's all these like um, consulting companies always have to have some smart ass word, which is like two or three words mixed together to have like a hybrid, to have a synergy of, of topics. Who cares? Anyway, an Accenture survey of online shoppers shows that 62% never complete their purchase because there's no real-time customer service or support. The Accenture survey also shows that 90% of those shoppers also wanted some kind of interactive assistance during the shopping process. Um, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, this is not quite B2B sales. I'm interested as to whether this can be scaled up to B2B sales, though. If I'm buying a product from, who would be a good example? Drift, right? They have, they use the either on dog food. They have their own conversational, um, I can't remember what they call it, brand it now, but they have their own chat bot on, and that's part of the product, right? Part of the product mix. They have their own chat bot on the website. You've got a question. You interact immediately with a sales rep. You go back and forth, and they're obviously pushing content to you. They're trying to get you down the buying cycle. They're trying to encourage you to sign up to a demo, whatever it is, and um, they could do it in real time. That's clearly a B2B product, drift.com. Could we do this? Two questions for you. Could we do this to a real person, but we just see an avatar on the screen with a generic name so that we double down on the branding, we characterize the the bot as the, the, the barren bot, whatever it is, but there's a bunch of real people behind it giving an incredible service. But if someone leaves the company, it doesn't matter. If someone uh, does something in their personal life, it doesn't matter. Um, could that be valuable? And then the follow-up question to that is, or are we just going to go down the route of it all being automated, AI, computer, get rid of people altogether? 
Mm. So, so this number, this 62% never complete their purchases, and assuming this is more B2C, you know, this is shopping cart abandonment said another way, and the numbers are pretty high just like that, so nothing has changed. But I think there is something to have in some type of, uh, you know, a Baron bot, we'll call that a Will Baron bot, like a picture of Will Baron talking to you. I think there's going to be something to that because they're getting more and more realistic. I think that's interesting. I, I think it beats a call center. I, I could, two scenarios, right? There's a call center behind the bot or there's a real conversational AI piece behind the bot. And I found that the majority, I was God, trying to remember what I was trying to buy last week, Will, and I'm talking to the person on the chat asking questions. They, they won't answer my question, but they keep trying to get my email and my number. Sure. And I'm like, will you please just answer the question? And I got ornery towards the third, the third round of this. I said, you just lost a customer. And the, and the person was obviously in a foreign country because they were on a different time zone, you know, managing calls. That could have been resolved with a, co a real conversational bot that could really answer the question. But, you know, this is where I, I tap out to you, where you said, you know, Victor, is this really real time conversational AI? And they're just not there yet, Will. Because, again, unless, you know, giggle, right? Garbage in, garbage out. The problem is there's nothing coming in. So really, they're just using these generic bots that really irritate you more than they help. Sure. Something that we're doing in our Accelerate Simple Accelerator program is we've got this big search box at the top of the product. It's on every single page. And if you search, you get uh, the transcripts of all the podcast episodes. So we can search to specific, specific timestamps within you know, the 700 or podcasts we've done. Um, there's all my personal book summaries. There's all the training content. There's the community content. If you search within that search box called Sales Search, it'll come up with all of the terms of uh, of what you search for in all of the content both that i've created and that's been in the community and the podcast all that good stuff as well what we're doing though so that's, that's a useful tool for the audience useful tool for our members we're also mm -hmm. um anonymously <laughs> i just stick that in there anonymously because it sounds a bit weird um recording all the search terms and then we've got a tool within wordpress which wordpress which evan's built uh, upon that then categorizes the terms and so if cold call comes up 50 times, it comes up, raises up to the top of this basically board that we've got at the back end of all of this. And I will now start creating content based on those specific terms. If somebody or if three or four people search for the same thing from different membership accounts, I'm now going to create content on the back of exactly what they're searching for. So when the it. fifth person searches, it's literally verbatim for what they're after. So, I love it. That's a great idea, Will. That's uh, a fantastic idea. And, and and this will come to the website and everything else. This will roll out wider on, on salesman.org eventually. But the, the point, I'm not trying to plug the product. The point of that tale is that if I can do that personally with our tiny team, right? You know, there's like there's like nine of us. Um, most people working part-time. If you look at the likes of Amazon, with the amount of queries that they're getting, they can super accurate know exactly what people want, what questions they're asking. Within a day, they'll have you know 100,000 questions. There's no reason that they, they at that point, then have enough data to start to build conversational intelligence chatbots that work effectively well, like incredibly well. Because there's so much, as you mentioned, garbage in, garbage out. There's so much data going in that once you can suss out what's, what is garbage and what isn't, There'll be a, there's no reason why they can't a, a brand of that size with that much data going in. There's no way that they can't master this in you know years from now, months from now, if they're not doing it already. Well, you were you know uh, during the pre uh, uh, show you talked about a software you're trying that you're still trying out that's able to like after you write a what you say after a paragraph or something it can write the rest of the article. So uh, so imagine taking that a step further that after somebody asks a question it can build content around that question. Mm -hmm. 
based on that question. That'd be interesting. So here's I, a question. I, I, I don't want to forget this. So what I, what I love about your strategy with the keywords is, uh, and I wanted to ask you before I forgot, because I think this would be interesting if you could do this. Can your page dynamically change the order of the content, right, as it appears on the page based on the search terms? So, uh, yes, that's not difficult to do. How would okay. you want to change the, uh, how do you mean prioritize the content in order of like number of people who have clicked on a post or whether a community is more on valuable search. than. So I just want to, if, if they're searching, let's, let me yep. just go through it. If they're searching and cold calling seems to be coming up, all of a sudden your page dynamically changes and all the cold calling prospecting courses move to the top and it, it dynamically changes all, you know, just throughout the day. Yep, that, that would be dead easy to engineer. What we do um, wow. to stop that having to happen is when you sign up to the product, you do our sales code assessment, and then that dynamically builds a customized training plan for you. So if you never cold call, if it's just ne something you never do, you're not going to see the cold call and training within the product itself. So we do it on the front end. But for sure, it's, it's an interesting idea because people doing the assessment might project one thing because it's an assessment. They're never 100% accurate. We're always putting our best foot forward with things like this when we're asking a series of questions, what people actually search for might be more accurate. So yeah, that might be something sure. we could implement. That's interesting. All right. I love that. Cool. Well, with that sales training, which you can find over at salesman.org, tell us more about uh, this sales training news topic that we've got here, Victor. All right. How much does companies spend on sales enablement? Article by Rick Kratz. Um, a typical marketing budget, I don't know if you knew this, is between 10 to 12% of a company's revenue. Good rule of thumb to keep in mind. Uh, you you already saw the answer, but about what percentage of that marketing budget that companies spend are allocated to actual sales enablement? Well, 66% of the participating business spend at least $150 per user per month on sales enablement tools, a dramatic increase from a survey done in 2017. Did you find that number rather low? We've had this conversation before. You cannot sign up for without ruining uh, anyone's kind of perception of pricing because a lot of SaaS companies and sales enablement companies won't include the full pricing on the website. There's a lot of email cadence companies. There's a lot of conversational analysis companies that it's more than $150 a seat per person just for that one product. Never mind your CRM outreach tools, uh, data acquisition uh, and kind of lead uh, information tools. You could easily swamp that with just two or three of the basics. Yeah, I, I was surprised. I, I'm, I'm thinking somewhere between 500 and 1,000 would be a more accurate number. Uh, but here's another interesting note. A whopping 90% of marketing produced content goes unused by sales. Let me just pause there. I knew the number was high. That's high, Will. 90% of the marketing content produced goes unused by sales. Shocking what you expected. Is that 90% of marketing content pr produced for sales? Or is it 90% of marketing content that marketing used for, for brand, for lead gen, for other things? I think it's used for sale. I, they didn't clarify it, but if, I, I, I'm assuming it's used for sale. Yeah, either way, it's about right. I've never handed out, at the previous companies I've worked for, I've never handed out like a leaflet or a marketing material or anything. Like I've never, I've never had any assets given to me that were incredibly valuable that I wanted to share. But, but tie those two numbers together. This is what really blows me away. A marketing budget is 10 to 12% of the actual company's revenue. 
Yeah, but, but yeah. It, might, it might only be 1% of that budget that goes towards content for salespeople. The other 9% might be uh, brand awareness pieces and things like that. That that's point taken. That, that, that I'll pull back on that one because you're right. Because we don't know what percentage that is. And by the way, and only nine percent of marketing content goes used more than five times. Some other way, they use it a few times, they never use it again, and that goes away. So the disconnect again between sales and marketing. And this isn't really a shocker, right? This <laughs> this has been around for like you know decades now. That marketing and sales just don't see eye to eye. What is surprising that they haven't lined up more. And this is where you and I had the conversation, and I'm going to throw it back to you so you see if you got the answer. Should there be this new role, Will, where sales and marketing fall under one umbrella? Yeah, but if you – so this is the problem with, like, uh, politics and government, right? So How the hell, how the hell did you jump there? So um, whether you are for big I, government, I, whether you're for I, small I, government, this is what tends to happen. I give Victor a special program and I want you to do something for schools in the local area and you do it, we're clapping, well done, Victor. And then you're like, oh, crap, I need to expand this. Otherwise, I'm going to be out of a job. So then you get a little team and you do it in multiple cities. You're like, well done, this is working really well, congrats. Then all the people underneath you go, oh, crap, I'm going to be out of a job if this goes as seamlessly. as well. So we now need to expand it nationally. Now we need to do this, we need to do that. And eventually it becomes incredibly inefficient and it becomes a problem. So I'm not talking about British politics, American politics. It just things, when money is thrown into a system, when there's very little regard to where that money goes and what happens to it and little accountability, of course, it's going to grow. It's going to become this big, fat, slobby thing eventually. By the way, you took that conversation totally sideways off. You went so off-roading on that one. Let me, let me, let me, let me bring it, no, 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 let me bring what? it back. Let me bring it back, Peter. I was about to say, I got a more specific question that would help. Let me me bring it back before I lose my train of thought and then I'll completely forget where I was going. This happens in marketing teams as well. You have one marketer who's an associate who gets a project and they produce a bunch of content to get a little bit of um, something happens in the market. They get some kind of feedback and they go, okay, well, let's scale that. Let's scale this, scale this. Well, because it's a lot of it is, a lot of marketing is less direct than sales of, hey, we hired 14 more people we had 10 people before with more than doubled revenue. Okay, this is scaling. It's going well. Well, in marketing, it's very difficult to measure like brand awareness. You can measure leads generated, but are those leads good? Are they bad? It's difficult to put uh, analysis on that as well. So marketing teams can get bigger and bigger as a company grows. And then they're just producing crap that nobody cares about, nobody's using, but they are ticking their own internal um, benchmarks of, we produced a blog post this week. Well, yeah, but no one read it. Yeah, but I'm only tasked to produce a blog post. That, that That's all the analytics team. This is all that team. And it, we talk about this two silos of sales and marketing, where sales is, we just, like, you know, a lot of companies just sack the bottom three or 4% of salespeople every year, and then they try and hire on top of it. Well, that doesn't happen in marketing. I've met so many marketers that I'm, you know, a small business owner, like, entrepreneur, business owner kind of thing, uh, as well as like, you know, salesperson, lifelong salesperson, I could outmarket the crap out of a ton of people that I both sometimes work with, with different deals and branding things that we do. And then I've got friends and stuff in marketing as well. I can wipe the floor with most of them. And that's where I'm going with this is if we were to combine the two um, silos here, you'd have got to have someone at the top who's willing to call a ton of marketers and probably promote and, and, really put the sales team on a pedestal. I don't think this is bias coming from as a salesperson myself, 
Um, I, I think that that's the shift that would have to happen, and that'd be incredibly painful. And so it's that I think that's why it's happening so slow. That was a long-winded way of going about it, but did that make sense? It, it did, but it, it's still not. I guess let me ask the question the other way. I'll, I'll just make the statement. What I was looking for was <laughs> the should should marketing sales fall under one P and L? That would have been a shorter way of putting that. If you put it under one profit and loss bucket, now they have to mesh. That was really the question I was asking. Sure, it, it I should, get. I, I, I get the I get the question. I guess where I'm going with it is the practical realities of it. Of I probably shouldn't eat pizza tonight, but I like pizza, so I'm going to eat pizza. You probably should have sales and marketing under a chief revenue officer. It's very difficult to do because marketing. I've had sitting in an office, pissing about all day, creating fancy stuff, and they get a, a pat on the back when a blog post gets more than three views. Whereas salespeople are slogging it away. They are, who's more accountable than a salesperson in a modern you know, B2B organization? Very few people, right? So the, the, we sh- they, should be under the, they should be under the same silo, same person. It's very difficult and they probably never will be. I'm kind of coming to terms with what we're talking about here is ideals. And I don't, I don't know that environment exists in the real world. I, I think it does exist. I think what you're going to start seeing is this the CRO whatever, or chief sales operation. The, the thing is, I think the dynamics will change. It has to change. Well, and by the way, it depends on the business sector, obviously. But think about the fact that marketing now is driving a lot of the customer journey, right? And so we want to know what co- you know marketing is telling them. So when they do pick up the phone or reach out to somebody in the company, that, that matches up and aligns with what the sales messaging is all about. So I think you're seeing this actual, this natural blending. That's why this, this data has to be a little wigged out a little bit because I think there's more of a mesh going on than what we're seeing really. And so what, what you're saying showing. is you you assume one thing but the data is telling you another. That data yeah that data is telling me that well right now it's telling me that they're disconnected, right? That based on their survey and again we have to look at what they looked at, what surveys. But I'm saying the trend line seems to be from a buying standpoint. Let's forget about let's bring it back to reality. People want a consistent message. If I if I done Correct. all my searching online, I want to go to product call them up so I think there will be this natural integration, this force integration, and maybe we're going to get rid of salespeople. And you've said this before, and so aptly you said that today's salesperson has become a more of a customer support slash service person. And so maybe there's this new breed of sales consultants that we don't know about that has a that's really blended with marketing. That's my point. I, th- I think they're going to come under one PL eventually. Let me, so I'll give you my prediction, right? That's your prediction, Victor. I, I think the two silos, the Somewhat incompatible, as I've just uh, outlined in that long-winded analogy, uh, where Victor's going, we're going to talk about government, and I'll be able to like uh, kick <laughs> off and, and spit some fire here. Then I brought it back to reality and, and 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 put out the fire before Victor could get us both in trouble. So I think that marketing will probably just wipe sales out, and then within the marketing team, there'll be a handful of actual domain experts that will be the salespeople that marketing will refer to in content will refer to if there's uh, speaking events, if there's branding exercises, they'll put a face, they'll be the face of the organization. And the sale, and if you do need to, if you throughout the sales process do need to speak to an actual expert, as opposed to right now, you just, a lot of time you're speaking to just some dude who's worked at the company for three months, who doesn't really care, who's waiting to get on to the next job and, and grass is greener, right? You're not going to be speaking to those individuals because they won't exist. Hey, I'm a realist, Victor. I don't just offend half the audience. Wait, 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 wait. I like I like the way you had this beautiful rational explanation about marketing and then sales going away and then being absorbed. And then you throw in this side note about some personal 
You go down a rabbit hole as a personality. Trying to paint a picture. Because somebody, Victor, is listening. There is someone called Barry listening to the show right now in his car going, hey, that's me. I've been working in this job for two years. I really don't give a shit about it. I'm I'm literally looking for the next role. How how has he uncovered my life? I, I really do agree with your scenario. I think that's a possible scenario, a highly likely possible scenario of marketing you know, becoming yeah. more of a giant and then sales shrinking and being absorbed by marketing. So that is a possibility. So I like that scenario. Cool. And, and final point on this, all you got to do to um, to investigate this is to ask who has the budget for sales enablement? Who has the budget for these conversational analysis tools? Typically, it's marketing as opposed to sales. And so that's where the authority is. That's where the money is. Eventually, everything's going to feed up into into that silo as opposed to the two being combined. So with that, Victor, um, I wanted to give a shout out to these guys. I mean, this is an interesting case study in, in a space that we live in. This is, uh, I can't remember what the actual original post was, but this is sellingsignals.com. They received funding, 300,000 from Mark Waring Ventures, whoever that is, uh, to create an online publication for salespeople. Wow. A blog. The, the wow. creating a blog, right? But I'm, inter- oh. I'm interested, and, and this is a quote from the CEO, Evan Tarver. Shout out to Evan. Uh, hopefully this blows up, and hopefully you can give us some attention in your uh, funded sales blog in the future. This is a quote from Evan. We identified a gap in the on- online marketplace where most sales education topics are being addressed by generalist writers, generalist publish- publications, and brands selling products and services, which I think is completely true. There is a handful and Outbound Conference is one of them. All you legends on stage all have, you know, uh, pretty independent blogs. Uh, you and your like, massive YouTube audience, right? But if you Google cold calling, how to cold call a in a complex environment, it's going to be Salesforce. It's probably going to be HubSpot at the top. HubSpot, it's going to be Salesforce. It's going to be Gong. It's going to be whoever, other CRMs. There's very few independent, actual, true experts commenting, posting, and writing on these topics Typically, if you go to HubSpot, if you go to Salesforce, if you go to Gong, if you go to any one of these uh, incredible blogs, it is just a generalist writer mm-hmm. as opposed to an expert, a quota carrier, someone who is in the trenches creating this content. So if Evan here over at sellingsignals.com can create a blog on the back of real individuals who are verified sellers, as I think the frame it up as, that could be an interesting uh, kind of twist and turn in the content marketplace for salespeople. Yeah, and by the way, have you noticed that the word signals keeps popping up in a lot of things? You know, uh, oh, and it's Jamie Shanks's Pipeline Signals. I just read, I saw a book by a guy who, who really started the whole concept of, of finding signals in all the noise. So, by the way, that's a lot of money to throw at this. I mean, okay, I mean, it's not my money. That's all I'll say. It's not my money. I mean, if they want, by the way, if they were smart, they'll throw $300,000 our way. What do you think, Will? This weekend sales. I give you, right. I was like, Victor, I want to be a partner in Victor Antonio Ventures. I want you to wrap up the speaking, the online training, the in-person training, the coaching, all the services that you offer. I want you to wrap it up into one organization. I don't know how you're kind of structured at the moment, but we've got one organization, Victor Antonio Ventures. I'm going to give you 300 grand. Um, I want, you know, 10%, you know, share in the company, whatever it is, 5%. We can value it. At, uh, we can value it at whatever it is. But you've got to spend that money to grow. How would you use that cash to grow your either reach, influence, or the the value that you can give your customers, Victor? I don't know. I'd have to give that some thought, honestly. I'd have to give that some thought. How would you approach it? I 
one, I wouldn't take your money. So I've never, I've never pondered this. I, I literally would not I, take cash off anyone. I, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take the money. That, but gun to head, gun to head, uh, and a good, val- a good faith question. Uh, I'll try and give a good faith answer. Uh, gun to head. I would have to spend. It's got to be spent in the next six months. I would push for office space, which is something I've been faffing about on, waiting for this pandemic to come to a conclusion. And office space prices in the UK, in Leeds where I live, have gone up post-pandemic. They haven't gone down. They're all sat frigging empty and they've gone up. So I'd probably use the cash to commit to that and maybe just have, maybe that's what I'd do. I'd put the cash in the bank and that would pay the lease for the next 10 years. And that would give me a facility, an ability to invite people in, do more collaborations. Um, no, I would spend half of it on that. I'd spend half of it on flying people like yourself, Victor, experts to the space couple of nights hotel stay fly people in from all around the world and create higher level more quality content than what i think most sales podcasts uh even this show if we were in person this show would be 10 times killer than what it is right now i think it's pretty freaking good as it is but there'd be so much banter there'd be so much back and forth um uh, i think we'd like we'd get on even better in person that's what i'd do half the cash would go on uh lease office space rent for Five years, ten years, whatever it adds up to. The rest, I'd, I'd have a new person out every two or three weeks, and I'd do in-person interviews and just spend a day creating content. Yeah, and by the way, I don't know if it's going to be a free service, but you know, just a side note, you know, like Selling Power magazine, like, do they really make a lot of money? Like, you know, I mean, I should ask Gerhard Gershwart for this. I mean, I don't know how. I mean, for all I know, he could be making millions, and I don't even know about it. But I'm wondering, is this model still viable? Because there's so much free information online. They're saying they found a niche. They found a wormhole. They can go down and find some great nuggets. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I get the whole generalist versus specialist. But I'm like, even if I gave you specialist information, doesn't mean you're going to actually read it. If it's not part of the sales training, you know, cadence of their company. So I don't know, man. I think it's I'm wishing them luck. Sure. Um, well, look, Victor, uh, practically we can look at saleshacker.com and Max Altula over there. That company was acquired. Max is now, I think he's a VP of marketing or VP of something marketing over at Outreach. Clearly sold. He's clearly happy. I've very briefly spoke to him about the whole shebang and it's worked out very great for him. That is a content marketing site. That is a, a blog that Outreach bought. So maybe this is a, uh, you know, you don't get investment from VCs. Uh, from angel investors, from seed investors, unless there's an opportunity to sell the company in the future. So maybe that's I agree. the play. I agree. I agree. I agree with you. Hey, Will, guess what? In Culture Corner, I want to highlight something. And here we go, folks. It's about to get real. Look, first of all, let me just preface this by saying I'm just tired, really tired of people saying that a college degree is worthless, okay? Some reason Elon Musk said it, but not really. It's not what he really said. I've heard people like Grant Cardone say it, even though Grant has an accounting degree. <laughs> I've heard other people say it, even though they kind of have a degree. And I'm just tired of hearing it. So I was actually doing some research for this finance company I'm working with, as I mentioned, I'm coaching. And I came across this little nugget on Forbes Advisor. It's an article off of Forbes.com, and it talks about the net worth according to education levels. So let me go through it slowly for the listeners. So, and then if you could use this graphic, we'll put it on the screen. If you don't have a high school diploma, now they do average and median, right? So no high school diploma. I'm gonna go with the median because the median is usually more accurate. But if no high school diploma, your net worth is 20,000. High school diploma, your net worth is 73,000. Some college means you didn't complete college, 90,000, rounding up. And if you have a college degree, 
your median uh, net worth is about 300,000. Now the average, if you want to put average, I'll just go no high school diploma, or let's just say high school diploma, 300,000, college degree, 1.5 million. That's a 5X difference in net worth, 5X. So my question to you is, well, do you buy into this whole thing that college degrees are worthless? College degrees, nine times out of 10, Victor, are absolute garbage. Not worth the paper that they're written on. Okay. If you are I'm... a doctor, if you're an yes. engineer, if you are perhaps an architect, if you are essentially, as I put in the show notes here, if you're doing something that my life depends on, you probably need a degree. Nursing. Um, and I'm, I'm running out of ideas here, right? But I, but I, but I get you. Uh, if you're an engineer, anything that is... If you're building complex. a bridge that I'm going to drive over with my dog yeah. in the back of the new car. <laughs> Architects. I want you to have done three years of maths before right. I drive across it, right? Um, my partner's a doctor. I've talked about her on the show a bunch of times. Uh, she's done like six years of medical school after having had like the best. She, I was, I did, I did okay in school to be fair. But she did like amazing, like A stars and everything, extra courses, extra um, GCSEs, all that kind of stuff. And I, I did fine, but I didn't revise, didn't do zero work. And uh, I would say that if you both give us both an IQ test, there'd be no difference between us. So I think. You don't need a degree unless you're doing something that is, you know, people's lives are, are on the line. I, I think that's a, a clear definition for me. Now, this data is completely flawed, Victor. Wait up, wait up. Before we go to the flawed data, so let, let's highlight a couple of things. Mathematicians, again, one could say indirectly your life depends on them. But yeah, but what, so today, okay, but what does a mathematician do? As a, as a career, you stay in college and do more maths. And it, you know, science is incredibly no, 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 important. Wait, wait, wait. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Cool. You need math to actually actually build a bridge. Two, sure. you look at data science today, a lot of that stuff is math. So can it you really not is. learn that on the job? Can you not learn that on in a classroom three hours a day uh, in a, um, what do you call it? Like an apprenticeship? With it? Could you not go to Gong and work with Gong engineers and be taught three hours in work, three hours on product and an right. hour you back could. forth? That, that's what I think the future is. I don't but think the future is wait. university college. But and, and by the way, I, we could have we could have a discussion on university and colleges. And I'll probably agree with you that they've gone too big, they're too bloated, and they need to be broken down okay. into something. What, so what is what is the question then? I'm so just trying my, to debate my, here for the sake of debate. Well, no, 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 no. And I know you got a good rolling. But my, my point is that a lot of these. Let's take psychology. Psychology. Yep. Now you probably say worthless degree, and I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. You see it applied today, psychological psychology and marketing. You see it applied quite a bit. Could you so not just read a few books on it? Do you have to go to university? Would you but, not but be better you, working for an organization? And again, working I'm agree with you. in... I'm agreeing with you. Well, you're not supposed to agree with me. We can't have wait, a debate if no, you wait, agree with me, wait, Victor. Wait, wait. I, but I was going to agree with a but, though. I was going to agree with a but. People aren't disciplined enough to actually go do it. That's the problem. Two, you could go work for an apprenticeship, but you have to find the apprenticeship. See, one of the things that the educational system done, when done correctly, and not bloated and charging you this exorbitant amount of money, is it democratizes education for everybody. So there's Does more it? social mobility. There is more. Does it? Can I get into Harvard? Uh, but you don't have to get into Harvard. Can if I get into Stanford? Can I go to the London uh, School the of Economics? Do you have the, Do you have the grades? By the way, is somebody who went to the local college here smarter than the guy that went to Harvard? I would I would venture to get maybe occasionally they are. 
So it doesn't mean in which case then money. it doesn't do anything. Then you, the paperwork that you get it in there is irrelevant. No, 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 no. The education is what's relevant. I am saying by having universities, you're actually no, democratizing no, no. Let's, for everyone. Let's, Would you agree with that? No. Let's just the agree question that, that you've put in this doc is, yeah, which I'm is maybe is, is, is a college degree worthless? And I say it is not worthless. It is worth something. And I'm still arguing that same point that it is so worth something. So what do you feel it's worth? Because that's still ambiguous. Is it worth $100,000 of debt to do a degree in psychology to get a entry-level role as a marketing associate? By the way, entry-level role today, VP, chief marketing officer tomorrow, earning a million dollars a year plus bonuses and set in a stock option plan. Or would you rather keep that $100,000, work for the three or four years that you would have been at university in the real world, use that for uh, personal development courses, training, coaching, your frigging food oh, and accommodation? Wait a minute. Where did the hundred thousand dollars come from? Because they had to borrow it from somebody. Sure. They had to borrow that money. So if if they decide not to go to college, okay, so fine. Now I got to go find. Okay, let's take it down to zero. I decide <laughs> I'm not going to college. I decide yeah. I'm not going to college. And I go. All Congratulations, right. Victor. Good, smart move. Thank, uh, end of discussion. We're done here. And, and then I go. Okay, what do I want to do? I think I want to do something in psychology or math. Take your pick. Right. What do I do now? No company's going to hire me without a college degree straight out of college, high school. Google well, are hiring without college degrees. Facebook are hiring without college degrees. Tesla are hiring without college degrees. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. It, it's conflated. You, this is this this is the hey. I, I, I did I did an article on Elon Musk especially because that's not what Elon Musk said. Elon Musk said we will hire people without a college degree, of course, if they come with a certain expertise already. Sure. That's what he said. So it okay. wasn't like that, that, just, that, that's fine. That that's not unreasonable. So right. If I so let's we need to we need to nail this down. If yeah, I'm high, let's look at sales. I want to yes. hire a salesperson. Do I want to hire a salesperson who spent four years pissing about at uni? Um, and I, I can talk about the positive of university in a second, perhaps. <laughs> pissing about at uni, they've got a degree in psychology. Or yeah. do I hire a eighteen-year-old? lad, girl, whatever it is, it comes to me, starts cold calling my office and says, hey, I'm going to come work for you. I'm going to do this, this, and this. All I need is three days a week, the afternoons, uh, it's quite a bit early, and I want to just shadow the, the best people on your team. I want to do that for I want to do that for three years. Right. Who are you going to hire? I'd hire the, the high schooler. Of course. Yeah. So that, oh, by the way, that's the answer. Talking, to the well, by the way, we're talking sales where you could actually – it, you're going to learn it. But by the way, come on, you're going to start at a low level sales job. And for the next two, three years, you're going to do that. And I get that. I'm not even going to argue that because it's sales. But consider the fact that if I went to a four year college degree and I studied math and became a data scientist or I studied programming because I couldn't you know, do it locally or I couldn't get into some type so of apprenticeship. Programming is a terrible example. Do you think you're going to learn? Right. Do you think you're going to be a better programmer four years of university versus four years of perhaps part-time working for an organization so you can pay your bills and part-time st self-study? The only, the only Considering way that, that Harvard University courses, almost all of them are online for free anyway. You're not going to get the, the, way, the tutor way, engagement the, to that kind of thing, of I, course. The, the only real-world example I could give you is one that's right in my face almost every day, and that is my new son-in-law who has a bachelor's and a master's in computer science. Mm -hmm. And the amount of money he's making is just stupid just ridiculous money and he's only like what is it like 29 it's just stupid money and you couldn't make that 
I mean, you'd have to get real lucky to find a company that would pay you what they're paying this kid. She's not kidding me, this young man. So, I mean, I'm seeing it in front of me. These degrees do matter to some extent, especially when it comes. Again, you get, we both agree that you can get the skills on your own. It's always possible to go out there and get the skills on your own and bypass college. But the reality is a lot of people don't have the discipline to do that. That would be my argument. And college If they don't have the discipline to do that, are they going to have the discipline at college, university to go to lectures, to get good grades? For me, it actually helped. Well, seriously, for me, college actually gave me structure and actually taught me how to manage my time better. It really did because I didn't learn that in the hood. Right. And so when I when I got to college, it actually structured it and I got an understanding of how things work and what needs to be done. And how, I actually developed a better work ethic at college. Well, a lot of my friends, by the way, to your point, were partying at uni, as you put it. <laughs> so Should were, we then? Should hmm. all 18 year olds go and do six months of military service? No. Get them that discipline. Get them rock and rolling. I, I would I be way further ahead in my life and career if I had the discipline at 18 that I had now. And some dude in a ridiculous haircut, short back and sides, slapping me about would probably have uh, given me mental trauma, but would have got me that discipline earlier on for sure. I, I, I agree. How about this? Let's find a compromise. Let's try to find <laughs> a happy medium. My last attempt to find a happy medium. I would agree that if, if companies today would implement what back in the days in the 1800s where everybody had apprenticeship programs, sure. like true apprenticeship. If companies like made a conscious effort to have apprenticeship programs, then you could make a strong argument yep. that college is a waste of time. So if we can get companies to do that, then I'm with you 100% well. I, I think that's happening. I think five years from now, a crappy degree that's cost you, in the UK it could cost you, uh, I think it's like seven and a half thousand dollars a year is is where it's capped. In the US, it's just insane how much you can spend on on college fees. Never mind everything else that goes along with that. Your accommodation. Oh, it's like it's between thirty and fifty thousand if it's private or public. So you can wind up two hundred thousand dollars in debt. And to your point, it shouldn't be that high. These costs shouldn't no, be that high. It's insane. And, they, and, and if if universities are losing people, they deserve it for bloating their their budgets like the way I, they did. I see it in Leeds, right? Leeds is a great university here in the UK. It's got a great medical school. It's where my partner mm. went. They're popping up new buildings all the time. All the buildings are being refaced. And they've just had 12 months with no one in the frigging buildings because of COVID. They're all going to pass their degrees. Or, you know, whoever was going to pass is going to pass. Whoever uh, who's going to do the work is still going to do the work. You don't necessarily need these big lecture fairs. And things. this is where I go back to my medical point. Things like medicine. Um, um, my missus was telling me about this the other day. Do you know what she did on her first day in medical school? Mm. Have a guess what she did, Victor. First she day in medical hospital. school. She went to a hospital? She went to a morgue and they had to saw arms off bodies. Love it. That's how you qualify up real quick. Yep. Up front. And of well, course, the point of doing it is to get a load of people to drop out at the beginning of the semester rather than have them faff uh, around. By the way, I'm going to I'm gonna so use that story. Yep. I'm going to talk about I got a friend named Will who has a partner named Emily. Yep. And then, because you talk about qualifying sales, you know, uh, potential clients. That's mm -hmm. how you qualify potential clients as well, Insane. right? Insane. Actual big saw. <laughs> she said at the end of the day, there's just... And and you, uh, it's respectfully done, right? These individuals are given the um, they've given their bodies to science and given them to um, the medics to learn on. So it's done respectfully. Um, uh, but you said at the end of the day, there is literally like buckets full of arms and you know <laughs> bodies. And then obviously the bodies then go on and be uh, um, get, get studied and, this and dismembered. Topic is so wrong, Will. This topic is so wrong. I can't believe you brought this up. This but is that's so the wrong. truth. So you can't Dear do honest, that via I an online no training course, right? I am 
officially disassociating myself from Will in this last two, three minutes of this weekend's health podcast. Mate, so, <laughs> so, so I use my partner right all the time as an example of salespeople think that it's tough to be rejected. Salespeople think that this and that is, oh, you know, it, it's tough and oh, I got rejected. And I just think of what she goes through. And I'll, I'll leave it with this. I think this is uh, quite poignant. I obviously come from the other side of this whole COVID uh, global pandemic now. She had people in the UK, people were dying of COVID and their family members were not allowed to come into the hospital for risk of getting COVID, spreading COVID, everything else. It was fine that the, the rules, regulations that's in place. And so she was having to get the patient's phone who'd been in the hospital now for weeks. This happened multiple times. And maybe I shouldn't say she, people within the NHS, not pointing at any fingers here, were having to get phones, this is well documented, of the patient's dial the family members and FaceTime them so they can see the family members right. for the last time. And everyone's sure. dressed in like spacesuits and all this crazy stuff's Very going sad. along. Very sad. And salespeople, sad. myself included, are moaning because someone hasn't got back to us on time. I I find it I find it really like it that really like affects me of we shouldn't be bitching and moaning about being in an office, cold calling people, emailing people and thinking that we've got life tough when there's, and this is in like the Western world, this is in the UK, one of the best kind of healthcare providers on the, on the planet, um, super highly educated. So it, you, just, you just scale that out to other places on the planet where they've not got the, the, the kind of luxuries and the things that we have. We shouldn't be complaining about anything. You know, I don't know where to go with that, Will. We're trying to close out the show and you just kind of brought me down. That's what you just did. <laughs> but, but I get your point though. I, I'm with you. I think my my point on my final point on that would be it would it's going to be interesting when we look back ten to twenty years from now and see all the things that were really happening that are not being discussed. That being one of those points, but your attitude of gratitude point is well taken, my man. Amazing stuff. Well, we'll wrap up with there. We haven't plugged it the whole show because we're terrible hosts. If you've got anything you want us to talk about, all the points all the points that we talked about that we talked about as well are available on thisweekinsales.com. You can go there. You can ask your questions. We will answer them on the show. If you're a PR person for one of these sales SaaS organizations that we talk about and bitch and moan about and uh, and sometimes praise for the good work, you can contact us there as well. And with that, have you done anything to wrap up on before we uh, close things out? I got nothing. I got nothing. It was great talking to you again, Will. Love this conversation. Good man. That was Victor Antonio. No joke here, Sales Nation. Everyone listening. Victor Antonio. Sales. Freaking legend. My name is Will Barron, founder of Self.org, and that was This Week in Sales.